Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. Easter. We're staying in this for a minute. We're um, building it off of the language of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, who says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power, that's the name of the series, same power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us by faith. And so the intention of this series is to explore as practically as possible to just ask some of those questions. If that's really true, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, how do we access that power? And what does it look like? What are some of the arenas of our life in which that power lifts us up? And so we've been tackling different ones. We'll do a handful more in the course of the series. For this next one, I'm going to kind of back into the topic, kind of tell you where my revelation happened on this one and um, why it was actually an uncomfortable kind of idea for me to wrestle with. So travel back with me. Um, this would have been, well, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 45, and so I was about to do the math, but for some reason I can't do the math in my mind. So early 20s, that shouldn't be that hard, 20-something years ago. Anyway, so some of you know my story, some of you don't. That part's not important. It, um, I was in the business world for about six years before I went into ministry. I had a dad who was a pastor, and that made it very clear to me that I never wanted to be a pastor, so I never planned on going into ministry. So it was this church that I started attending called Willow Creek, which is where they kind of called out kind of the pastoral call within me. And that's where I first heard that I was going to become a pastor, right? I'm telling that part fast because that's not the part I want to focus on. So I start working at Willow Creek when I'm 24 years old. So there's the math, 21 years old, 21 years or so ago. And so I didn't really know what to expect, right, when you're working as a pastor and you're working in this is a huge church, so I've got a supervisor. And so um, one of the things Willow was legendary for in those days, it was um, just a very fast-paced culture, and especially at a staff level that expected a lot out of staff. And so some people didn't do great under that. I actually loved it. I've always kind of enjoyed having the best called out of me and have high standards. So I did well within that. So one of the things, so my supervisor at the time, Nancy Orberg, she had a huge impact on me as I was kind of forming my faith in my 20s. And so she would say, you know, part of my job, obviously, is to make sure that you hit your benchmarks and you do what you're supposed to do. She said, but I just don't ever think that's going to be the hard part with you. You seem to enjoy that part. She said, the two things I'm really focused on with you is character development and emotional health and awareness. All right? Now, the first one, that made sense. I heard that all growing up in church. Character development, I mean, that makes sense in church or outside of church, right? I, she's trying to help me become a man of character. I wanted to be held to that standard. The whole idea of emotional awareness and health, now that one felt like something totally a woman would say to a guy that she's supervising, and I would just roll my eyes at her. And I'm sorry I'm saying it like that because I don't think that anymore, but it shows kind of both my ignorance to emotional health and my probably sexism, I'm sure, all at the same time. So she would say that. I would just literally roll my eyes. I wouldn't pay any attention to that. But she would hammer this all the time, trying to grow your character, trying to grow your emotional awareness and health. All right, so again, I roll my eyes. I get my first ever job review. I never actually had a job review because I was always working in startup environments. So I get my first ever job review when I'm 24. I actually get really good remarks on it. Second job review is where we had like a real come to Jesus moment. And my second job review, this is what Nancy wrote. And to this day, I still remind her of this, that she wrote it. It was a very pivotal moment for me. In it, she wrote, from a performance perspective, Daniel continues to do an A-plus job. 
She said, but from an emotional intelligence perspective, Daniel, <laughs> you laughing already. She said, from an emotional intelligence perspective, Daniel is the least emotionally aware adult I've ever worked with. And if he does not get a handle on it, it's going to be his ultimate undoing in ministry. Uh, dang, she's like serious about this, right? And so that was when I really realized that this was not just some superficial kind of thing that she was saying. And, and so I started to go back and hear what she had been saying, but I hadn't been listening to. Bottom line, she had a perspective that I did not agree with, but I totally agree with now. She believed that a person who's following Jesus cannot be spiritually mature if they're at the same time emotionally immature. All right, she had a fundamental belief that somebody could not be spiritually mature if they were not also emotionally mature, or said negatively, if somebody's emotionally immature, then that compromises the entire quest to be spiritually mature. And as I started to wrestle with that more and more, that was certainly very different than anything I had heard growing up. In fact, I would almost say it was the opposite of what I'd heard up. But as I was trying to wrestle with that, I started asking, like, why is that so hard for me to hear? Why, why is it that I have so much trouble believing that? And so I began to become more circumspective and reflective around my upbringing. Some of it's certainly the kind of culture at large. I think there's, it depends on kind of which culture I get you grow up in, but certainly cues I heard growing up was that a strong man doesn't get bound by his emotions, doesn't get held back by emotions. I mean, I was certainly in many of those environments where boys don't cry, men don't cry, like that's a sign of weakness. So some of it was culture at large. But I think without question for me, and I think this is true in a lot of conservative Christian circles, I heard a message even in church that discredited the importance of emotional awareness and health. Um, uh, I can distinctly remember some certain points along the way where somebody in our church had to go to therapy and how they were seen as just totally weak for going to therapy, especially if they were a man. And, and that, was, that, was, that was very common. And when I would ask about that as an inquisitive young person, I would be told that if somebody truly believed in the truth of Scripture, they would never need to go into a therapeutic environment. And I just took that for what it was said growing up. And, and it helped me when she started just hammering, hammering away at this, and I started to open myself up to it. It actually, this was the huge aha moment. Not only did I come to agree that you can't be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature, but it helped me understand, and I, one of the reasons I'm going in this lengthy intro is I hope it helps you understand. It helped me understand what I label this hypocrisy, but I don't actually know it's hypocrisy, that it is hypocrisy. It helped me understand a disconnect that I so regularly saw in the church, and I was in a lot of different churches, so it wasn't even just in one there was something I could never make sense of in the focus on emotional awareness and intelligence. Help me make sense of it. Um, too, let, me, let me try to bottom line it like this. Too often, especially in kind of conservative Christian spaces where the Bible is held at a really high level, um, we think of spiritual maturity only through the sense of the mind, right? That um, when we're trying to grow people spiritually, the primary focus is to get them to learn the right things, so to be able to memorize scripture, to be able to understand about God, to, you know, even at a harder core level, kind of understand systematic theology, some of these kinds of things. Um, and this is where, like, a lot of nuance is going to start needing to be because whatever I'm going to say today, the last thing I would want to do is minimize how important that is. I actually totally believe that I think that transforming the mind is a huge part of how we have transformed hearts and behaviors. But what I started to realize is there's kind of this segmentation that happens in many church circles where we elevate transformation of the mind and diminish other parts of it. So as I started to wrestle with it, my dad, you know, who I said as a pastor, one of the things he used to always tell us as children, and I'm grateful for this, I think it's right on, he said, the bottom line at the end of the day, the bottom line should always be the great commandment. He would say to us, he said, he'd say, he'd focus on the word all, he'd say, I want you guys to be all people. 
when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He would say that we, we need to be all people, and I agree with that. We need to be all. But as I started wrestling with that, I thought, isn't that interesting, though? The first mind doesn't come up till third in that. Right? First, it says, love the Lord with all your heart. Like something about the internal world, God is saying, we need to love God with all of our heart, right? It says, love the Lord with all your soul. Who knows what it means to love God with all their soul, right? What does that even mean? You know what the Greek word is for soul? Greek word for soul is suke, which is where we get psychology from. And then interesting, what does that mean to love God with all of your psychological being? I don't know exactly, but I mean, Jesus says it, right? It's like we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, all our soul. And then he does say, love the Lord with all your mind and with all of our strength. Bottom line being, Jesus talked about transformation in a very holistic way, right? And so while I, the last thing I'd ever want to do is minimize the importance of knowledge and the, the role that plays, and please hear that. I do not want to minimize that. All I'm trying to say is it's so easy to be fragmented where we learn to love the Lord with our mind, but we don't learn to love the Lord with our emotions, with our internal world, and that's what I want to kind of poke around at a little bit today in the context of power because I think it's powerful whichever side you fall on on this, right? When somebody has a lot of knowledge about God, and I'm going to talk about it in a Christian perspective. When somebody has a lot of knowledge about God but is disconnected from what's happening in the emotional realm, that's powerful in all the wrong ways, right? This is the kind of stuff that helped me understand. I went off on a little rabbit trail there. When I was talking about seeing hypocrisy sometimes growing up. I remember being so confused by a deacon in our church who knew scriptures inside and out. Man, he could quote all day long, but the dude had a serious anger problem. And I was friends with his kids, and his anger, what made his anger problem so tricky was that it could just be anything that would set it off. And he was very big in a corporal punishment. He was very much a don't spear the rod, spoil the child, spear the rod, spoil the child. Um, but when you combine that with his bouts of anger, um, he would lash out sometimes verbally and say really cruel things, sometimes physically, leaving marks even in the context of you know, putting somebody on the right, right, right path. And it was always so confusing for them because what would set him off would be so different and so unpredictable, right? But everybody around him saw him as a spiritually mature person because he knew scriptures inside and out. Now, again, don't want to minimize. It's super important to know scriptures. It's hard to know the ways of God without knowing scriptures. But when it's detached, this is the part I'm trying to say, when it's disintegrated, when it's not integrated with kind of what's happening at the internal realm, you can actually have knowledge in your head and still be a very broken and immature person. But we don't always have the language for talking about that. Or I think of one of our pastors who um, was so charming when he was on. You could, he could just get you to follow him anywhere. But if somebody would ever disagree with anything he said, if there's any level of criticism, it would seriously be like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Something would come over him, and he would look so betrayed by even the smallest criticism that would come his way. And almost without fail, when somebody would criticize him, he would begin kind of a campaign to, like, excommunicate that person from the church. And we watched this happen over and over and over again, but couldn't really name what was wrong with that because... I mean, he would preach straight out of the original text. He would preach out of Greek and Hebrew. He was the smartest person we knew about the Bible, so it must be okay that he did that, right? Well, no, of course that's not okay. There's something emotionally going on. There was a lack of attunement to him that he couldn't receive criticism, that that triggered him somehow. But because he didn't know how to do that, and we didn't have vocabulary for that, we didn't have a way to describe that, the emotional immaturity was never named as part of the process of becoming a spiritually mature person. You tracking with me so far? And so what I want to kind of talk about today, so said in the positive, it's very powerful when our mind is working and we know about God, but where it's also connected to the emotional realm, and that too is submitted before God. So let's open a scripture. Let's go to the book of Psalms. 
So if you've got your Bible, open the book of Psalms. Psalms, of course, is one of the best repositories for learning how to be whole beings before God. Psalms are just filled with the language of emotion. In fact, when you start to see this kind of historic disconnect between the mind and the emotion, you realize why a lot of conservative Christian churches don't really know how to teach Psalms because they just don't fit quite right. They don't, they don't read the same way like the Apostle Paul's letters do where you can like really organize that intellectually. Um, the Psalms are very emotion-heavy. In fact, did you know that two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? Two-thirds of the Psalms are psalmists who are in grief, who are in sadness, who are in despair, who are um, in sorrow and are trying to take that before the Lord. So I want to read Psalm 139. This is a famous psalm, especially when it gets to the part about being fearfully and wonderfully made before God. We're not even going to read that part. Um, we're going to read the beginning and the end of the psalm because it's a bit long. So let's, read, let's stand together. We're going to use Psalm 139 as a way to think about emotional health, emotional awareness and health. This is, um, this is a psalm from David. We're going to read the first 10 verses and then the last two verses. David says, You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seed, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And let's jump to the end. He says this at the end. This is the two verses I'm going to really ask us to like take with us, even memorize if possible. He says this in verse 23. Search me, God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And all God's people said, amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So even though David was very human and had his fallings, I think we see in the Old Testament David being one of the most integrated people that we know of, somebody who loved God with both his mind and his heart. Now, this is in his emotions. We're going to focus on the heart emotions in this one. Just again, to remind of the balance, David didn't pit one against the other. Psalm 119 is one of the best passages. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when, if you go to Psalm 119, you'll see a whole psalm that talks about the importance of knowing God with your mind, of loving God with your mind. He says, you know, uh, um, how, do, how does a young person stay on the path of God? By living according to God's word. These, this is just the same kind of things he'd say. I seek you with all my hearts. Don't let me stray from your commandments. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He goes on and on and on. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet. Bottom line being, he took seriously the importance of filling his mind with Scripture. It's not one against the other. But what we see here in this passage is he's showing, not only do I need to know about God, which is so core to transformation, and the most core thing I would say, not only do I need to know about God, but I need to know about myself in the light of God's presence, right? That's a different thing to not just know about God, but to know about myself in the light of God's presence. I wanted to add those first 10 verses because sometimes those get misunderstood. When he talks about where can I go, where can I flee, where can I go to get away from God's presence, this is, he's not saying this as a lament or 
in some kind of a way that he's afraid of God's presence, what he's trying to acknowledge is that even if I'm unaware of what's happening within me, God still is, right? It doesn't matter what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, where I'm at, what situation life is happening. God is always aware of what's happening inside of me. The good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, God is aware of all of that. And so he leads to this prayer at the end, which if you don't mind, again, um, Shavy, I'm bringing it up, that, that, that passage at the end. So he's acknowledging that God knows everything about him. And then this is his prayer, how he finishes this famous God, psalm. And just like, let the word sink in for this for a minute. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, right? So he's acknowledging. He's feeling anxiety. He's feeling fear. He's, he's, he's wanting God to, to see it, to test it, to reveal to him. And then even, I mean, it's a very bold prayer. He says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? So just even these two verses, he is saying, I know there's all kind of stuff happening inside of me right now, all kinds of fear, all kind of anxiety, all kind of emotion. Some of it's probably totally fine and is revealing something. Some of it may be too much so, right? Like, God, help reveal to me what is of your will, what needs to be submitted to you. And I just love this language, help lead me to the way everlasting right? It just kind of got the sense of the abundance of God's presence and love. He's saying, help me understand what's happening inside of me. Help me step into that place of everlasting love with you. So in about 10 minutes, let me try to answer, how do we become emotionally aware and healthy people? Right? Now, I, I'm saying that lightly. I, I'm going to give a couple ideas, I'm, lots of caveats, lots of qualifications here, right? There's a lot of depth that goes to this, right? I, I, it, would be, it would be totally irresponsible for me to try to over-apply this because what forms us, what our experiences have been is so specific person to person. I'm not a clinical psychologist or therapist, though I paid enough money to therapists. I feel like one sometimes. Um, so I'm not trying to overstate my own qualifications or credentials to do this. What, what I do want to do in just a few minutes here, I just want, this is more of a vision of how to incorporate this together more than a how-to. I think the how-to is important too. It just goes beyond the scope of what I can do on a Sunday morning. So I just want to give a little bit of vision. When we think of kind of the biblical perspective of integration of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength when we think about being emotionally healthy and aware. I'm going to use this image of an iceberg. This gets used a lot in the emotional um, kind of realm, language realm, both actually in secular and in Christian circles. But um, go ahead and bring up this graphic, if you will. So I just want to kind of think through. I I see this as being consistently as part of the stages of kind of what somebody has to go through to become integrated. So um, the first one is this. Um, I, I want to focus on this idea of becoming just emotionally aware Right? Um, I think if we're going to become integrated beings who are eventually can pray what David prayed, where he's saying, search me. Right? David's already aware. He's naming the fact that he's got anxiety, that he's got these kind of different emotions that are happening. And this is, this, once you know how to do it, it feels like a small step, but it actually is an enormous step to take if you've never done it. <laughs> I'll make an analogy here. Um, so I'll use the physical realm here for a second. I've had, for 10, 12 years now, I've had a lot of lower back pain. So I've been trying to figure out what to do with that. So I've been going to a chiropractor for over a decade, and I have to go once or twice just to kind of stay out of, you know, kind of misery in that. And so finally, my primary care physician said, you know, if you've been going there for a decade and it hasn't gotten any better, maybe you should try something else, right? Have you ever thought about physical therapy? And I was like, that sounds scary. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like something I don't really want to do. But she was right. She's like, if, if it hasn't tried. So I, I, for the first time in my life, have been doing physical therapy for the last couple months. And so uh, me and Dr. Jennifer see each other every week. And so um, one of the things that I think it's funny, I don't think she thinks it's funny. One of the things I think is funny that's happening in there, she'll say, okay, um, she'll, have, she'll have me do a certain stretch or a certain exercise. And she'll say, um, well, what are you feeling right now? I'll say, pain. 
She'd say, no, 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 that's too broad. What kind of pain? Like, what do you mean, what kind of pain? What does that mean? She'd be like, like, when I push your leg this way, is it like sharp pain or dull pain? Is it like waking your back up pain or like my back shouldn't do this pain? I'm like, I don't know. It's pain. <laughs> like, I can't possibly parse out. Pain is pain to me. She's like, no, you, you have got to learn your body enough to know which kind of pain you are feeling in this moment. And so then I actually made a joke. I was like, man, I feel like this is when I was back in therapy again. Like, my therapist would say, what are you feeling right now? I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, like the, it was a big step for me. I finally told my therapist I felt frustrated about something. He's like, okay, that's good. And, and then he started asking about other things, and I could only say frustrated every time. So he's like, oh, so I see. So you've got kind of one emotion now, right? Frustrated. That's kind of your general describer of everything that you're feeling, right? So he, he humored me to say that that was some kind of progress. Um, this, I think, for those of us who are not aware of emotion, this is what it feels like kind of when I'm in the therapist, the, the physical therapist office, and she says, what do you feel? I'm like, I, I feel something, right? But I'm just going to name it as pain, right? She's like, no, you, you've got to get you've got to get a stronger glossary for this that can identify different kinds of pain so that I can actually help you, right? And so I'd say this is the starting point. You know, w- w- this is, I think, really important in the same way that David models. We've got to be able to name what we're feeling at any given time. You know, sometimes... They're more kind of on the positive side, if I can use that word. They're, it's generally greed. Like some of the most core emotions would be like happiness, like joy, excitement. I think it's really important that we're in touch with those because when something brings us those, we should be able to acknowledge it, but also we want to do more of the things that bring us those kind of things, right? When we're feeling happiness or joy or excitement. And then, I don't want to call them the negative, but there are certain kinds of emotions that if not properly understood and taken care of can really subsume a person. All right, so the big ones here, in fact, say these with me, sadness, anger, fear. We have got to be able to acknowledge these when they are happening in our life. When we feel sad about something, we've got to be able to label that as sad. Um, when we feel afraid or, you know, if you want to use anxiety, like sometimes that's kind of a derivative of it, or when we feel angry, those, those are especially the three. Those, when those are unchecked in a person's life, when they're unidentified and unchecked, ununderstood, they can take over a person's life. Um, and they're actually very beautiful, powerful things because they show us things about what's happening in our life, and it gives us a chance to invite God in. But for a lot of us, we can't even label those when they come. And so it sounds simple, but it's not. Even just being able to be in touch with what we're feeling is such a great skill. In fact, those of you in community groups, a couple of your community groups already do this. I think this is something you could do even just as a quick touch-in. In fact, Bruce Otto sitting over here. Bruce and I were in a men's small group for two years. Um, the whole purpose of the small group was just to identify as men what we were feeling in that moment. Can you imagine that? A bunch of guys sitting together. It was lawyers and pastors and business guys sitting together. And we would just start off. And it, the six we would use was, Bruce, help me out. It was happy, sad, happy, sad, angry, scared. Wasn't there two more? Tender? Wasn't tender one? Yeah, so anyway, so I'm getting a little rusty now. Then I had a baby, and I had to drop out of the group. But um, uh, So we would do this, and I think that's a great thing, just to even be able to touch base, to, to touch in with friends, people that you care about. I'm being able to name it. So I think that's a starting point is awareness of emotion. You tracking with me? All right, second one. This is where it starts to get into more like 201, 301, 401 kind of stuff. As important as it is to name emotion, it's not enough just to name it. Um, kind of the classic joke on this is it's good if you can say that you're angry, but if you punch somebody when you're angry, that's not really all that effective that you can name that you're angry, right? Uh, um, uh, it's a starting point, but if you're not understanding it and learning what to do with it, it's not very helpful. And so this is where I think it starts to get into the deep waters kinds of stuff, which is I'm kind of putting it here on this diagram. But but if I was going to bottom line, there's so much to be said here, but if I was going to just 
pass on what I think is so critical on this. Once we can name emotion, being able to be aware enough to, to tell, because at any given time, we should be feeling things, even just everyday life, right? You're excited about your next meeting, or you're not excited about your next meeting, right? I mean, there's just, there's just always emotions that should be happening. What we really need to be paying attention to are big emotions. That would be my perspective. Emotions where it feels very charged. It feels um, just bigger than your kind of typical kinds of things. I think we need to identify those and then do the work, whether in self-reflection, if you're capable of doing that, sometimes it requires therapy, but doing the deeper work to understand where it comes from. I'll just give one silly everyday example because this is the kinds of stuff I think is probably normal life. I'm giving one from kids, so if you don't have kids, apologize. This hopefully still feels relevant, but um, this just happened yesterday. Um, so I've got you know a son and a daughter, an eight and just about six year old daughter. So my daughter Gabby is just as lovable and joyful as could be. That she's just so easy to love. Um, the one thing she does that drives me crazy, she's just klutzy as can be. She just. She, she trips over everything. She trips even over not real things. Like she, she air tripped three different times yesterday and wiped out. I'm like, there wasn't even anything there. How did you wipe out? And it's so hard to give sympathy. And then um, she always wants to help with things, but she'll spill whatever she's helping with. So she wanted eggs for breakfast. And so she wanted to help. She scrambled them. She hold them. So I needed just like 10 seconds to get the pan ready. And I look back over her and she's watching me with a smile and she's got the pan, the, the bowl completely half over and it's just spilling out onto the floor. Now, that should not be a huge thing, right? But I got so mad in that moment, I had to literally walk out of the room because I, like, I, I can feel when my anger is disproportionate, right? So, so it wasn't like anger, I'm going to hit you. I've never hit the kid. But th- it was an anger that was, didn't make sense, right? It's an anger that doesn't make sense. And so I'm glad I'm, uh, this is where kind of we're getting here now of like being able to submit these things before God because I had to walk away because I knew I knew enough to say, I'm angry enough to say something. Because what I want to do is say, you're such a klutz. Why do you always do stuff like that, right? And that's where these start becoming really key moments. This is where emotion is such a big deal, right? Like, I'm mad for some reason, and I'm on the verge of saying something that's way meaner than needs to be said in the moment, right? So I go out of the room and go, what? Why am I so freaking angry right now? And so the what came to me in that moment, and I want to say this carefully. I mean, it's a father story, and we're supposed to honor our parents, so I don't want to dishonor anybody, but I've told him this. I've said this publicly, so hopefully, I, hopefully this is not dishonor to say. But one of the things that was very formative for me growing up, my dad used to, to all six kids, he would use this phrase, zero defect living. And that's what he'd say. So he said, zero defect living. He said, we should do our best to live without mistakes. And so every time we make a mistake, there would be this disproportionate kind of response. And so it really, it really locked that in where you just did not want to make mistakes. You did not want to be on the other end of this, right? And as I stepped in the other room, I'm like, that's exactly what's happening here. I am channeling in this warped zero defect living onto Gabby right now. And like, who cares? She spilled eggs. Like it's, she's so lovable in every way. If she's, if klutziness is part of what she needs to work through, then klutziness is part of what she needs to work through. That's what a dad should do is let his daughter be a little bit klutzy, right? And like, clean up the stupid eggs and just make them again, right? But I had to talk myself off of a very serious ledge over something so stupid as spilling eggs, right? And yet, it's not really a small example in the day because if I would have mouthed off and said some mean thing, those are the things that start to accumulate over time, right? Those are the kind of things that start to get stored up in a little daughter's life, right? And that's why, to me, this is profoundly spiritual, (laughs) being able to be aware of what's happening on the internal level. And that's what leads us to this last one, 
which just for lack of a better term, I'm just calling this emotional health. Um, I think all of it is part of emotional health. But I'm putting that phrase, that, that, that verse, Psalm 139, the last two verses there. Um, and flip back over, if you would, again, one more time, Shavian, to that verse. I, I want to I connect this back to what David prays when he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I could give so many more stories that are in my head right now of where I'm having to submit to come to understand emotions that get triggered in me at work, at church, in marriage, and with, with children. I, I think at this point, you're probably following this. The bottom line is um, God already sees our heart, and God already sees the feelings and thoughts we're having. We're the ones who rarely see those. And I think it's one of the most spiritually formative things we can do is come to, for one, A, learn to identify what we're feeling, but then secondly, to do the hard work to understand why certain things in life create that sense of anxiety, right? All three of those that I said, fear, sadness, anger, there are so many stories. I've got a unique relationship with all three of those. There are certain things that make me angry that I never even used to understand that I was feeling angry, and then I had to understand why it made me angry. There are certain things that just bring me profoundly sad to the point where I can become... Um, um, so depressed I can't almost function, right? Like, so being able to understand those things. Um, fear, God, there's so many things I'm afraid of. I used to think I was afraid of nothing. I was, I was just kidding myself. There's so many things I'm afraid of. But when you can't name them, they control you. When you can't name them and control you, it's all right to be afraid. And then you have to understand it and you have to figure out if that's a good fear or a bad fear, right? There's just a lot in that that we have to do. But the bottom line is that we can put it before God and say, God, you already know my thoughts. You already know my feelings. Help me to understand what I'm feeling. And then help me to put it before you in a surrendered kind of a way to know what's the righteous path to do with this. And help me to trust that somehow this emotion is part of your work of taking me into the ways everlasting. And we know that's always what God wants for us, right? That God wants us to experience that abundant love, that abundant grace, that presence in our lives. And emotion plays a huge part of that. Again, I think integration is what we're going for. We want to love God with our mind. There's no question. We take that very seriously. We want people to understand things. But I do think it's important we see that mind is not enough to get to full transformation. You can have a body of knowledge that's disconnected from your emotions and your history that leads to those emotions. And if those don't get, if those don't get attached back to each other, if those don't get integrated before God, we can live as very divided people who know the right answers but are driven by deeper kinds of things because... They've not been brought out into the light. And I think if we're going to be led into the way everlasting, this is the work that God calls us to. Amen? Will you join me in prayer as we kind of prepare our hearts for responding in worship? Oh, dear God, I appeal to your presence right now. I'm thankful for your presence. I'm, I'm, whenever I'm sharing things like this, whenever I'm trying to represent what I believe is what Scripture says, I do so with a sense of my awareness of my own fallibility and incompleteness. So I pray that You'll separate out what is of your heart and of your word and what's getting mixed up in my story here. I also want to just pray for your spirit to move when we're talking about this, that, that I, I think probably the minute we actually start to get in touch with our emotion, that there's some positive things that have happened to create certain kind of emotions. There's some very hurtful and damaging things that have happened to create these kinds of emotions. And it's a risk at times to be in touch with these things before you. And so... I want to just kind of re- recognize the kind of 
sensitive nature of being in touch with the things that we're feeling because those all tell a story about how we got to who, where we are and those have all been part of the story of becoming who we are. So we just pray kind of a healing presence in this space that you're just with us as we start to open ourselves up to those places. I pray that you would call us to being integrated beings, that you would call us to the power that comes from being able to love you with both our heart and our soul and our mind, that we would indeed take seriously the knowledge of God and seeing you for who you are and inviting that into our transformation process. But we would also follow the lead of David who regularly would represent what he was feeling and placed it before you, asking you to be in that with him, to reveal to him what needed to be revealed so that it could be surrendered to you so that we can become healthy, whole beings. We know that's what you want for us, to be healthy and whole beings. So hiding and denying and being out of touch, those don't help us become healthy, whole beings. We have to uh, trust that in your presence and in your community, we can do this in careful ways, but we can really bring to light the things that are happening inside of us. So you are the comforter, you are the great teacher, you are the one who brings this kind of transformation. That's more what I'm praying more than anything, that you would continue to guide us in this and that you give us a vision for being whole, integrated beings before you. So as we respond to you in worship at this moment, God, we pray that your presence will move in this place, will touch us in those weak and vulnerable and fragile places that the God who is a good father, the God that is the one who never fails us, will meet us in that place. Holiness, holiness is what I want, what I long for. You know, there's two ways to define holiness in terms of the actual word. One meaning is to be set apart for something. The other meaning of it, though, is to actually become whole. It's the same root, same etymology, to become whole. And I think it's so valuable to remember that this is God's intention for us, to become whole beings. And this is where the cross becomes such an important part, where the resurrection power becomes such an important part, because the truth is none of us are whole beings yet. In fact, we're far from that, right? And if you have to posture yourself, if you have to pretend you're something you're not, you'll never become a whole. But when you embrace the message of the cross, it says you're already loved. You're already accepted. Nothing to prove, nothing to earn. Now take this love, take this power, become more whole. It's so, then holiness sounds like an invitational thing, right? It sounds like a vision that we all want to become whole beings, become holy beings. So let that be our prayer. Let us Respond to the lover who calls us to become whole beings. All God's people said, amen. Love you all.
I want to be holy. You can have your cars. Give me your holiness. 